0: Community Polls, and indeed, you're welcome. Community Polls is a program that highlights the impact of the coronavirus on Mead, Missouri. And of course, you can listen to this broadcast through our website, that is kopn.org, and we also on Spotify. You can get your own copy. And just to remind you that on June 9th, Community Polls will be coming to an end, so we're definitely approaching the home stretch. So now it's more on reflection, and today, We'll be looking at the data, the statistics of all that has happened so far. And, of course, we look at the progress we've made in terms of people being vaccinated and the numbers. And, of course, we compare it to the Spanish flu of the early 20th century and all the surprises and lessons to be learned. I'm being joined now by our usual hosts, Dr. Elizabeth Alman and Dr. Sarah. Good morning, Dr. Alman. Good good
1: morning. It is, um, <clears throat> you know, I think that we are absolutely in the home stretch of this pandemic, and we're in the last um, two episodes of Community Pulse. Next week, during our pledge drive, um, we're doing our best to get all of the voices that we've been, or many of the voices that we've been hearing on a regular basis um, throughout this time to be a part of the show, which is, you know a little bit, of a lot of moving parts, but we're going to see if we can um, have people talk about that. And we'll be talking about, of course, since it's pledge drive, the importance of community radio and the ability of community radio to have responded in this way, to have been able to, um, with pretty short notice, uh, develop a team of uh, people who um, are willing to talk about this, this issue and um, producers who could, uh, and engineers who could be in the station during this time when we were needing to stay far apart from each other—it um, really was. It has been a remarkable thing to be a part of. Um, so before we get, so next week, June 9th is our last week of Community Pulse, um, uh, mainly because we feel like uh, most people who um, are needing and seeking information. Um, have answered most of their questions, and have other reliable sources where they can uh, follow uh, what's going on. Um, So just to sort of a recap of uh, the numbers, and I also want to share with people where I get these numbers and what places I'm following so if they want to continue to follow. There is nobody like Matthew Holloway, um, who has a a very active Facebook presence on um, every weeknight, he uh, does an evaluation of the statewide data in a way that is a little bit more thorough and in-depth and um, transparent and responsive to the public than what the state official Department of Health database uh, dashboard does. Um, what he does is he compiles um, the information from all of the um, uh, counties and uh, other jurisdictions who report numbers um, and looks at uh, trends and uh, ways that's happening. So all of his data is publicly available. He doesn't have access to uh, particular data. He has developed relationships with many uh, members in the public health community, uh, so he often has a perspective that's very helpful, and he re- definitely has a data uh, perspective. He's been the guest on Community Pulse a couple of times during the um, during the pandemic, and so and the, I'm not aware of any way that you can follow his data without uh, participating in Facebook. So uh, Matthew Holloway, M A T T H E W, H O L L O W A Y, and um, his. Uh, a report from yesterday was pretty interesting. Missouri is the only state in the nation that has increasing numbers right now, and the New York Times is showing that we're up about 2%. Matthew is saying we're probably up between 9 and 12% in cases, and that it's, there are slight increases across the state. Um, but there are statistical hotspots in the north central part of the state. So if you took I- 63, Highway 63 and went straight on up and went past Kirksville, you'd get into the Chillicothe and Brookville area, and those are places that are having um, a lot of uh, some of the highest cases per capita in the United States. Now, in rural communities, having an extra, you know, five or six cases per day in our very rural community, county makes uh, for um, high rates per capita. And so it's, but this has been persisting for over a week now. So I don't think it's just a a flash in the pan or a fluke from a reporting error. We do think that that's increasing. And both the, the health departments in these counties have announced that they have Identified both the uh, the B11 bin variant that is often referred to as the United Kingdom variant, and then um, the B1617.2, uh, which is the one from India. Um, and he also reports that Cox Health, which is the uh, a major uh, uh, hospital chain in Springfield, is also seeing increase in um, cases. So we do, that's one of my um, go-to places. I've also obviously um, most days been checking the Boone County Information Hub, um, and that is gives a, a, a lovely uh, summary of what's going on. We're seeing hospitals still functioning in the green status in Boone County. Uh, we do see there are 26 uh people with COVID in the hospital. So that doesn't necessarily mean they're hospitalized because of COVID. They might be hospitalized for something else. Everybody who's admitted to the hospital still gets tested so that we can, you know, do infection control in the hospital. But most of the people who are in the hospital with COVID are going to be in the hospital because of COVID. Only four citizens of Boone County are currently hospitalized. So many of the people who are in our hospital are, um, uh, from surrounding counties, the other um, source that I look at and follow is the Missouri uh, Sewer Shed Surveillance Project, um, and they are looking at the the presence of the viral RNA in um, the wastewater because it is excreted in our stool, and so then that ends up in our wastewater. And indeed, uh, they are not; they don't seem to be doing a surveillance project in the Chillicothe area. But we can see a, an increase in the Brookfield area as well. So that confirms what we're seeing in the, um, in the case numbers. And then I'm also following the New York Times. Um, they do a great job of doing a summary. Again, I'm presuming that their data on other states probably faces a similar limitation as Missouri <laughs> and a probably um, significant undercounting. But again, in the United States, our uh, numbers are decreasing and have been decreasing consistently since early January. Um, and we're down to, it's hard to know, like to say it today, but looks like an average, 70, average of 17,000 new cases per day in the United States. Um, and we're still seeing several hundred people a day um, die. So we're down to 356 uh, deaths Um in the last uh, 24 hours. Again, it's holiday weekend. It's hard to know whether we've got the numbers right. But um, So people are still getting sick and people are still dying. Um, and I do want to make sure that we continue to acknowledge that it's not over yet. And, of course, worldwide it is not over. Again, the New York Times has a great uh, way to click on to see what's going on with the world. Cases in India, uh, official counts seem to still be declining rapidly, but um, there are some people who are concerned that maybe where many people may have dispersed themselves to the rural areas, and the counting is not as easy in the rural areas. So that's kind of the summary of how I look for data sources to see what we think is going on. Um, And then some people have figured out how to make Our World and Data um, websites work for them, and I have not found those to be as useful for me, but when I can get to the right place, they have a lot of fascinating data. So I'm wondering, um, yeah, so I think that that's the summary of where I look for information. Um, If you had any comments or questions about that, I'd love to hear them.
0: Of course, um, definitely the numbers have been popping up from the very onset of this particular um, coronavirus, and um, I I want to ask a question. Do you think, um, to a large extent, the you know the daily numbers being crunched out from Hopkins, the, the world health organization the local authorities here in um missouri would you do you think to, to, okay to what extent do you think the numbers play in terms of increasing awareness on on the one hand and at the same time fear with um the local residents
1: yeah and then we can also talk ask about like why are they really accurate so um I think that if people are worried and uh and tend to be afraid especially of um things like infections that um I'm not sure there are any numbers that are actually going to be reassuring <coughs> so there's a wide variety of how people respond um I have found that these numbers uh, for me personally and professionally have been um very cheering to see the numbers come down. I'm a little concerned about what's going on in Missouri. Um, but I'll have to say, also reassured by, you know, we saw a surge of things, of cases in Michigan, in a, in a community that's a state that's not unlike ours. We're probably, you know, not going to be able to shut the state down again. Um, and we have a, you know, we Missouri really lagged behind the rest of the country in our vaccination rates. Similar to Michigan, and there were sort of places where there's more vaccine resistance in groups of people who interact with each other and um, could spread the virus. So it, you know the we are not evenly dispersed, uh, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. So the folks who've gotten vaccinated are not being as much of a buffer or protective um, against the, for the unvaccinated as we. As they would be if they were more evenly dispersed. So we see some counties where there's more vaccine hesitancy, and more counties where there's uh, uh, some counties where there's a larger embrace of the vaccine, and that seems to correlate with uh, with uh, infection numbers. Um, Yeah. So, and I think honestly, a lot of us are just kind of tired of hearing the numbers. I um, and are just um, interested in things like noticing the change in behavior of the people around us and wanting to hear guidance about what we can and can't do. The New York Times also had an interesting article this morning looking at we don't seem to see that there was an increase in cases from the C D C changing their guideline about masking, saying that people who are vaccinated do not need to mask yes. in almost every circumstance. And so um, and there was concern that, oh my goodness, now we're just gonna see increase in spread and we don't seem to be seeing that. But there is a statistical evaluation that it looks like we have that um, the rate of people being vaccinated has stabilized, where up until then, um, that announcement, the rates were falling. So we're, the, the hope was that by noticing that, by stating that there was an advantage in being vaccinated, that is that the CDC guidelines would allow you to take your mask off that that did seem to increase the interest in vaccination. And it's an interesting observation that people can be motivated by fear, but it's hard to maintain that motivation for very long. And that most people are motivated by um, much more motivated by something positive. So, what they've noticed was that there was an increase in website traffic on the CDC's website after that. It was the 48 hours after that announcement, people looking to see how they could get a vaccine. So we think that there may be a correlation between um, less masking and more vaccination, and I'm I'm all for it. Um, yeah, so, so that is, yeah. Uh, now, did you have other questions?
0: Oh, sure. Okay, now, um, in the course of... Um tackling this um, um, COVID pandemic here in the United States, um, of course, opinions were divided. Um, mm. Some on political grounds, some on religious grounds. Um, we saw a situation where some faith-based groups tried to spook up conspiracy theories that it's just one of those uh, spoofs to keep people in check. And it led to a direct conflict between health professionals and science and some beliefs and eventually when the 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 rollout of the vaccine started um, even some faith group leaders that were hitherto skeptical about this virus were now at the forefront of urging um, their members and and the general public to go get vaccinated so i want you to just speak on the theme of um you've talked on fear now i'm talking about the other side the conspiracy and the changing behavior or attitudes to science, especially when we're dealing with facts and figures as they happen?
1: Yeah, so this has been something that's been a challenge, and I think it surprised, I know it surprised me, and I think it surprised a lot of people, and how um, people tended to tie up their identity, uh, both political and, as you mentioned, faith um, identity, with their response to a public health um, uh, crisis, a public health situation. And um, I, that surprised me, even though I have for most of my career taken care of people who embrace, uh, maybe I should say minority opinions about health. So um, I, I was surprised by that, and I was surprised at how um, how much emotion there was in that um, and how much people seemed to be afraid of each other's opinions. Um, and I don't think that that was something that the public health folks were prepared for. It seems like public health had done a really good job of thinking through things like – what what things are we going to need and how many and how should we store them and where should we store them and how do we access them? Um, and then we had like that had been being done for decades. And then there were some interventions in the couple of years leading to the uh, leading up to the pandemic where those things were undermined, where the stockpiles were not maintained or monitored or evaluated as carefully. But I so those were the things that public health folks were we're focusing on, which I think was a great thing, but I don't know. I was not aware of anybody um, being prepared for how to deal with um, minority opinions, uh, people who had significant concerns and how to effectively send out messages when the messaging was changing. So for example, the mask guideline at the very beginning was, was confusing and wrong, and and then it switched. And so, um, you know, one of the problems is that the situation about masks was actually nuanced, where we had a shortage of masks and an extreme need for healthcare providers to have masks, and a concern that if the if we told the public to wear masks, that there would be hoarding, um, and that we would put health professionals at risk with that. Um, message. Now that's a new, and the other concern was we didn't know for sure if they were all that effective against this particular uh, virus. And there was a concern. I shared this concern that it would cause people, give people a false sense of security. And I actually heard people saying things like, oh, there's this multi-community indoor event that I want to go to. And um, I know people say I should be worried, but I'm going to wear a mask, so I'll be fine. And I think that uh, when we the message for the masking was really um, it was a nuanced reality that we didn't quite have full understanding. And then what came out was do not wear a mask because public health messages need to be simple. And then (laughs) when the nuance got shifted, like, oh, it turns out that the masks seem to be effective. And now we can use cloth masks. And so you don't have to be using the N95s and you can wash them in it. And we can save the N95s for our healthcare professionals, and that people actually would do that. Now we change to everybody needs to wear a mask, and that. So those, the, but each of those public health messages were attempting to be clear, but when the reality is more nuanced, it can sound like public health officials don't know what they're doing, and I don't know what's the best way to, to handle that. But that one was a little bit of a challenge, and I think we were all surprised at how how much it bothered some people to wear a mask.
0: Mm. Okay. Now, one other issue that people um, we we hardly talk about is the health worker. That's those on the, the front lines. Now, you are a health expert. I want you to, based on your own interaction with those that were directly involved in, you know, the initial dark days of the COVID pandemic, even those that got affected, and some who may have unfortunately passed on. I want you to talk about it, the the, the impact on health workers, what goes on to their mind as they're carrying out these duties and um, unfortunately we now have cases of uh, the, the virus affecting some of them. I want you to speak on that.
1: Yeah, so I have the same question. Um, so my work is very peripheral. To, I don't have a hospital practice. My practice is only in my office and I was able to shift to to 100% virtual um, with very minimal interaction directly with people who were sick. And so I don't really know. I I was also very surprised that almost none of my patients in my practice got COVID uh, or got sick from COVID and called me and wanted me to help them with it. I'm I'm sure many people got COVID and weren't symptomatic. Um, So I don't know. Um, I do have a colleague who's a... A mental health worker, and she said, you know, our rush is about to start, that um, there are people who are who have had, many of us have had um, impacts on our mental health, not just frontline health workers, but all of us. And it, now the therapists are going to be busy because there's a lot of work to be done. And I think our uh, frontline health workers um, are some of the most affected because they saw and experienced and participated in some of the most intense interactions where people were very sick or dying and unable to be to interact with their loved ones. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, I I think we're going to be it, it's going to be decades before our um, health workers are healed from this, and and it'll be a while before all of us are healed from it. Um, and I hope that we will continue to talk about it and that we will begin to reach across mindset that felt um, dividing. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. Now, going forward, we're, we're, like like you said at the beginning of the show, um, we, are, we are the tail end of this pandemic. Now we are in, um, more or less, at least in the United States, we are basically in the post-pandemic period. In other words, the worst hopefully is gone it's behind us now we are trying to recalibrate from that particular um dark period now going forward protocol, health protocols people's behavior um political will and and um the battle of science and 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 fears and all that for the United States, what 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 are the what what are the your takeaway lessons to be learned that even other countries are, or will I just say the pandemic the way it's been treated around the world vis a vis what's been happening in the United States what are some of the standouts for you?
1: Yeah, I think that yeah. this has revealed a lot of things, and one of the real big take home messages is that inequality and inequities are um, dangerous and can be fatal to our. Um, communities that have been marginalized. We've seen that uh, COVID took a larger toll, not on um, uh, black, indigenous and people of color, um, that it took a larger toll on people who are who live in poverty or who are economically challenged. It took a hard, larger toll on people who work for low wages and do the hardest work in our, our communities. Um, We um, have realized that public health really matters, that it's, uh, you know, when when we do public health right, it's kind of invisible. It's sort of like your sewer system. If it works well, you can ignore it all the time. Um, And, but if it doesn't work well, you're going to be really sorry that you didn't invest in it uh, more fully. So, uh, public health is really essential, and um, I think Missouri faring uh, poorly during this pandemic compared to surrounding states probably is correlated with um, the fact that we are 49th out of 50 on our uh, percentage of our of our budget that we spend on public health, um, and that we don't do a whole lot better in Boone County. Um, the other thing is that with some of the CARES Act money got distributed to. Uh, states, and then to county commissioners, uh, county governments, uh, to, I think, with the intention that it would be distributed to public health, and the idea was that if we leave local control, that we, that would get uh, allocated in a more helpful way. The thing that we realized is that public health in times like this make unpopular, politically unpopular statements, and so many of, in some counties in Missouri, Uh, public funding was actually shifted away from public health. Um, Even money that seemed to be intended for public health did not get there. And so we saw public health agencies um, really struggling. Um, We saw um, governments not stand up and support their public health leaders, and we have lost public health, uh, county public health officials in Missouri. And so again, that would be a a challenge that we're going to need to really invest in. Um, Yeah. Uh, We also saw how people can come together and work together, and we saw some dispersed leadership where when the leaders didn't seem to step forward, there were other people, like I'm just going to tell our community radio station, that um, stepped up and were able to to, um, help people get the information they needed.
0: Very interesting, and uh, one more thing we we're, we're about to end this edition, but what about the issue of um work there's no doubt that um the the the, the pandemic has changed or has in uh, enforced the possibility of um working from home you know normally i mean there are some I... jobs yeah so um you know what what's it what do you think it's like now for the, the the individual who's used to going to the office to do his or her job but now has to work from home and going forward how do you see businesses now and uh, public um, institutions now factoring working from home do you think it has come to stay or do you think we would? It will be a hybrid situation that we'll be adopting going forward.
1: Well, I think that lots and lots of people are going to be studying and talking about this, and this is way out of my expertise. I am hearing people say that some employers are really wanting to pressure their employees to come back to work. I've Some of my patients are feeling uh, pressure to come back to work before they were fully vaccinated, and we're wondering why that was. there was a rush. And I'm hearing people say, well... Um, Some places want to want their office to look full you know so we're back to people needing to be in the office because it makes somebody feel good that they're there rather than a a sense that that's really the place they're most productive so i think that business leaders are gonna we're going to be talking about this for a long time it is true that we've discovered that much of what was considered necessary is really optional and it's also this divide there are many people who were not able to do their work from home they they couldn't do their work remotely and um i think that there was a real disconnect about culturally what this what this pandemic was like for many people it was a lot of isolation at home and for other people it was a lot of exposure to an angry and divided public
0: well very very interesting views there um dr alleman I want to say thank you so much, um, we, we've come to the end of today's edition, but maybe just just throw in one word before we say our final goodbyes.
1: Yes, please get your vaccine. If you have hesitated, I understand it. and But if you think you're going to get it sooner or later, let's go get it now, because I'd hate for you to get COVID while you're waiting to decide about getting your vaccine that you were going to get anyway. So, The the vaccines, the news about the vaccines is that they are more effective than we expected and that their safety profile continues to be held up by ongoing um, data collection. So get the vaccine.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Alleman. And we look forward to the next edition, the penultimate edition, where we're going to have definite fireworks to throw more light on this pandemic. Thank you so much. Right. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. That's today's edition of Community Polls. Many thanks to you all for the support you've always given to this program. Remember, Community polls will hit the home stretch next Wednesday at 9 a.m. that June 9th, and of course, this show would not be possible without your support through underwriting. So let me thank one of our underwriters, Ragtag Cinema, Columbia's Art House Movie Theater. Information about show times and tickets can be found by calling 573-443-439 or visit their website, ragtagcinema.org. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned now for Between the Lines.